1: Let me share Ecclesiastes chapter 4. In the wisdom of God as he has ordained it, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work if one person stands by another person's side. If one person falls down, their friend can help them up. But pity the man on this earth who falls And has no one to help him. If two lie down together, they'll keep warm, but how can one person keep warm and safe alone? Though two may be overpowered, though one may be overpowered, if God has placed another in your life, you can defend yourself. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We've been through the mercies, mercy in ashes and mercy in temptation and mercy in betrayal. Jesus still called him friend. And this Sunday, a most poignant one, mercy in our friendships and in the relationships that God allows us to have on this earth. Mercy in friendships. What a God we have. What an incredible God we have. He creates the universe and he fills the universe with one trillion galaxies. And the one trillion galaxies are filled with 5,000 solar systems. And the number of stars, a quadrillion number of stars. God spoke well when he said in the Old Testament, you can't count all the stars. What a God we have. He creates a mountain on the planet Mars, which is 72,000 feet tall, two and a half times taller than Mount Everest, and at the base of that mountain, 400 miles wide. What a God we have. Somehow or other, He can engineer it so that you have 60,000 miles of blood vessels within your body. What a God we have. And yet when there is one single solitary individual who happens to bear the name Adam, when we have one individual sitting in the Garden of Eden and that man, I believe, is praying to God, first prayer ever uttered, when he says to God, I am all alone... God, who creates this universe, sees one human being sitting on a planet Earth in the Garden of Eden, uttering a prayer, and God comes to that prayer. What a God we have. Maybe Adam is looking at the animals that God said, Here's your job, Adam. I want you to name all the animals. I want you to take care of that which I have created. And Adam says, Okay, God, if that's what you want me to do. And then he's looking at the animals. And he's seeing that each animal has someone else. Someone for companionship, someone to play with, someone to nuzzle. He sees what the animals have. And he feels the most intense loneliness that any human being has ever felt on this earth. And at that moment, he says to God, Sorry to bother you. You've given me everything, but I'm going to throw a prayer at you. I need what I see the animals have. I need a companion. I am all alone. And then God echoes the words spoken not just to Adam, but to every human being he's ever created on this earth. God echoes the words throughout the centuries. It is not good for a man or a woman or a child or a teenager or the young or the middle age or the elderly It is good for no one to be alone. Central theme is mercy. If I were to ask you what the first word of mercy ever spoken in the Bible was, I know some of you would know the answer, man. You'd head straight for Genesis 3.15. You'd have a huge smile on your face. I know the answer, Genesis 3.15. When Adam and Eve have sinned and God said, you touch the fruit, you'll die, and they don't die. Instead, God comes and he speaks to three individuals, the serpent and Adam and Eve. And he says to the serpent, because you've done this thing, there will now be enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed, all the demons you have, and her seed. And then God said to Satan, I'm going to send somebody And by the time he's through with his work, he's going to crush your head. Sin, death, and the power of the devil, he's going to crush your head. And then he said, I'll give you this, Satan, you're going to strike at his heel. Every person on this earth, you're going to attempt to go after them for your own evil purposes. You say, man, oh, the first word of mercy God ever spoke. It's the second word of mercy. That he ever spoke. Pastor, tell us what the first word is. I think I will. The first word of mercy that God ever spoke were those words, It is not good for man to be alone. Genesis 2.18 It is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for anybody to be alone. I, God, will handle this matter. I will make a helpmeet for Adam. I'll make a companion. I'll make a kindred soul for this guy named Adam. And as soon as God says, my heart sorrows over his loneliness, he brings forth the miracle, the cure, the solution. And here comes Eve. Eve was God's first act of mercy. Now Adam has someone to laugh with him and to rejoice with him and to enjoy life with him. He is a kindred soul, someone on this earth with whom he can connect. Adam has someone to love. I look at God, and and God was not alone in heaven, was he? It's not good for man to be alone, not good for God to be alone. I think I'll have Jesus, my son... And I think I'll have the Holy Spirit. Because even God needs somebody. And when Jesus is on this earth, when it comes to really sticky situations, like i got to go to Jerusalem in six months, or I'm going to die on the cross tomorrow, He needs somebody. Twelve disciples. I've asked you the question before. Why did He choose the disciples? You say, man, He needed someone to teach. You got half of it right. The better reason he needed 12 disciples, it's not good for the Son of God to be alone. And here come the disciples, and in the most needful times of his life, he beckons them to come with him, not into the Garden of Eden, but into the Garden of Gethsemane. Come with me, my battle is against Satan, I want flesh and blood standing next to me. It is not good for man to be alone. First Corinthians thirteen, love chapter, right? Ninety five percent of all weddings, they have First Corinthians thirteen in it. At the end of that section, I believe it's verse eight, it says These three things remain in human relationships faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest of these? Because the first two are individual things. These three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. Faith is yours. Bravo. Faith is mine. It belongs to me. My faith can move my mountains by the grace of God. And I pray that you have your own faith that moves your own mountains. Faith belongs to an individual. It's not shared with someone else unless you let your light so shine before men that they may see your faith in the words and deeds that you do. Faith is a singular thing. What about the second thing? Hope. Hope. Every person in this congregation has a different hope than I do. Hope is a singular thing. It belongs to you. I might have certain hopes. You don't even know what's going on in my life. My hopes cannot touch your life except to say to you I believe that God is real and his promises are true. I hope your hope in whatever you're looking at is the same foundation as mine. Faith is a singular thing, hope is a singular thing. What about love? It cannot exist in a vacuum. Hope, a love cannot exist in a vacuum. There has to be somebody that's your love. I don't want to get God angry, man. I don't want any lightning hitting this building. I'm thinking, God, why didn't you put someone in Adam's life right away? Why did you wait to see his loneliness? Because unless you understand love, unless there is someone in your life that your heart goes out to, unless you understand love you can't understand the fullness of God because the Bible said God is love. And if you have no one in your life, if you have no one that you can say, man, I really love that person, there's a whole panacea of God that you never touch. What does Jesus say? The gospel, shortest one you're going to get. New command I give you, that you extend love to one another. As I have loved you, so you ought to love some other human being. By this you will prove that you belong to me, if you show love to some other human being. There would be a, va- a great vacuum with regards to God and your knowledge of him, if you didn't know what love Was. Oh, 1 Corinthians 13. Profound. I've read it a hundred million times, but it always hits hits me profoundly. It says, If you can speak in the tongues of angels, but do not have someone that you love on this earth, your life is empty. Amen. St. Paul. If you have a wisdom beyond anyone's ability on this earth, if you can fathom all mysteries, if you could write a million textbooks and everyone would sit and say, that's the wisest man I've ever seen. But if you have no one that you love, your life is empty. Amen. If you gave everything you possess to the poor, not because you loved them, if you gave everything you possess to the poor and surrendered your body to the flames, but didn't have someone to love, your life is as empty as it can possibly be. Love is kind, love is patient. Some of us need that more than others. Thank you very much. Love is kind, love is patient, loves keep no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in getting their way because they're too busy thinking about the person they love. What can I do for you? What will make you feel better? How can I handle this situation on your behalf? God's first act of mercy. I will provide a helpmeet for Adam I have so loved the world I created it I have so loved the world I'm going to send my son to die But I want man to understand what love is and the only way that can be done is for me to create someone for Adam You look at the first fruit of the spirit mentioned Galatians 5:22 What's the first fruit Is it joy? No. Is it peace? No. Is it patience, kindness, goodness? No. What is the first ingredient of the fruit of the Spirit? You're not surprised. The first ingredient is love. 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 And if you have someone in your life that you love, there is joy. There is patience. There is kindness, there is goodness, there is faithfulness, there is gentleness, there is self-control. The other ingredients of the fruit of the Spirit come if you have the first one. And that first one is love. And if you don't have the first one, if you don't have a loving Spirit in you, the other ones are not going to come. Because it's not good for man to be alone. I look at one very poignant, poignant story in the Bible. Mark chapter 2, paralytic. He can't walk. And Jesus comes to the village and it says, Four of his friends come. Oh my goodness. Four of his friends come. He's a paralytic. Maybe he got injured in a chariot race or maybe a camel ran over him. He is crippled. Jesus comes to the village. Four friends get together. They don't say, you know, I'm too busy. You know, I wish Jesus was coming next week because then I could clear my schedule. But you know, I'm pretty busy right now. They don't say that. The four friends go to his house. They lay down a blanket. They put him on the blanket and each one carries a corner of the blanket and they head to the house and Jesus is in the house. And it's too crowded. They can't get inside. And if they were not his good friends, they would look at each other and say, Man, we gave it a shot. If God had wanted him to see Jesus, he'd open the door. We gave it a shot. Sorry, buddy. Got to take you back home. They didn't say that. These four friends climb up on the roof. They begin to tear the roof apart. (laughs) Jesus is down below wondering what's happening until he sees the four friends lowering him on this blanket or this cot. And all of a sudden, Jesus stands there in amazement. He looks at the man, I'm sure he looks at the friends, he looks at the man, looks at the friends again, gives them a a thumbs up because of their faith. And there the man lies waiting to be healed, and he is. Compare that with the episode of Jesus going to the pool of Bethesda. And there was a man lying there. And Jesus said, Do you want to be healed? And the man said, I want to be healed, but I have, listen carefully to his words, I have no one to help me into the water. When the water stirs, I have no one to help me into the water. The guy in Mark chapter 2 has four friends. This guy has nobody to help him. And when you put the two episodes side by side, it almost makes you weep. He has nobody. Not just to carry him into the water, but he has nobody. He is alone on this earth. His parents long gone. He has nobody. But now he has somebody. Somebody and that somebody is Jesus. As certainly as God brought Eve to Adam as a comrade, a helpmeet, so he brought these four friends to the crippled man. And as certainly as God brought Eve to Adam, God brings people into your life. Maybe you're sitting next to him this morning. God brings people into your life. Maybe they're sitting next to you as you're watching online. God brings people into your life. They are divine appointments from God. Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms, it says you don't move on this earth without God. Providing the steps. The school you go to, the job you have, the metro train you ride, the neighborhood you live in, the family you've married into, all taken care of by God. He knows when you sit down, He knows when you rise up. He knows when you enter a circumstance in life, and He knows when you leave one behind. God's got it all planned out. Would you not think... That the friends God has placed in your life were placed by him. What if the place where you work was the place you found your friend? What if the high school you went to was the place you found your friend? Talking to a lady yesterday, she's still young, 42, 43 years of age. She tells me she has friends from high school that she still gets together with. And I sit there kind of in amazement. She has friends from high school. I had Sandy Sloca leave last night. She says, my best friend I've known for 60 years. What happens with friendships that are lengthy in their time, involvement in your life? What happens to them? They only get stronger. They only get stronger The more time they have spent with you in your joys, and perhaps more importantly, the more time they've spent with you in your time of tribulation or sorrow, the stronger the friendship becomes. Drew sent me that video. I looked at the first 30 seconds. I said, that nails it. How are friendships forged? The parties you had for St. Patrick's Day, I'm watching TV. At 6 a.m. in the morning, they're starting. The bars are all filled at 6 a.m. in the morning. Is that how your friendships are forged? Your friendships are forged when you call somebody, your friend, and say, I need to talk with you. Something going on in my life. Friendships are forged when grief comes into a, a, a family's life or into your life. You don't make the phone call. They hear about it, and they call you immediately immediately. How can I help? Or if they don't say say a word, they ring your doorbell, come on in, give you a hug, and don't speak for five minutes, but you know your friend is there. They are appointed by God for your life. Matthew 18.10 says, We have guardian angels given us by God the moment we're conceived. Your friends are a lower level of the guardian angel... That God gave you at your conception. Three means God protects us on this earth. God himself. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Second layer of protection. Guardian angel. Third layer of protection. Divine appointment. That friend who is in your life. Divine appointment. Four years ago, just before COVID, I did a wedding in this church. And there were 200 people here. And they were sharing in the joy. Went to the reception. There were even more people there, 300 people there. They were sharing in the joy. It was during COVID... Two years later, she died. The bride died. We broke a few rules, got them into one of the chapels around here. And we had her funeral service. It was in the middle of COVID and the rules were broken because there were 150 people there for the funeral. Same people I had seen two years earlier at the joy of the wedding. They are now there at an even more needful time by far.
0: They are there
1: for this man and for his family. Your friends, divine appointment by God. Someone said to me about a month ago, My dearest friend betrayed me. And as I thought about the sermon last week, Mercy and Betrayal, I thought about that individual, My friend betrayed me. What did Jesus do when Judas betrayed him? Jesus said to him, Friend, have you come to betray me with a kiss? He still called him friend. Remember last week he he saw Satan He didn't see Judas, he saw Satan. I shared last night, and I'm glad I did, for someone who talked to me after the service. If a friend has betrayed you for your own sake, you have to forgive. Why? Because hatred and vengeance will rot your bones. Proverbs 14.30 A heart at peace, a heart that has forgiven brings life to the body, but envy and hatred rots the bones. You forgive the individual. Do you go back to them? No. You forgive them, but you don't go running back necessarily. What does the fruit of the Spirit do for you? Love, joy, peace, patience. What does a friendship do for you? Listen carefully. The fruits of a friendship. Kindness. Honesty. They'll tell you when you're doing good and if you get off the wrong path, your friend will be the first one come knocking on your door and saying, i got to talk with you. What in the world are you doing? Kindness. Honesty. Trustworthy. You might trust your friend more deeply than you do your family members. Kindness, trustworthy, honest, nurturing, and protective. Nurturing and protective. Your friend will be happier for you when you succeed than you do for yourself. If someone watches you succeed and you think they're your friend and all of a sudden they got a look in their face, they're not your friend. If they see you succeed and they're talking to someone else about you, they're not your friend. A friend will rejoice when you throw the touchdown pass. A friend will rejoice when you get a scholarship to college. A friend will rejoice when you get an advancement at work. That's what friends do. They nurture and they protect. Somewhere this summer I'm going to do a series of sermons on friendships that exist in the Bible. You have Jonathan and David. Jonathan going, helping him find strength in God. Paul and Timothy, John Mark and the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says to John Mark, I want you to leave this missionary journey. You're homesick, get out of my face, go back home. Who becomes one of his closest friends when he's in prison? John Mark. Elijah and Elisha, Elisha is there, Elijah says to him, I got stuff to do, I want you to stay here. Elisha says, I'm never going to leave you, and Elisha is there when Elijah goes up to heaven in the whirlwind and catches his mantle and his robe. John and Jesus, Moses and Aaron, Abraham and Lot, Paul and Philemon, were the greatest friendship in the Bible, Jesus and... You, Jesus and you, John fifteen thirteen. greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. And in the very next verse, Jesus says, I call you friend. Man, when you're working on a sermon and you stop and think about that one, I call you friend. Paul's friend, I call you friend. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, is that possible? Can the Son of God say to me, Paul, I call you friend. Kind, nurturing, protective, honest, trustworthy. I call you friend. And I sit and say, that's not possible. And then I think, he was a friend of Bartimaeus. And he was a friend of Matthew the tax collector. And he was a friend of Zacchaeus. He was a friend of all these people in the Bible. Why could I not be his friend? And that's what he calls you. Lee, I call you friend. Amy, I call you friend. Nancy, I call you friend. Cliff, I call you... Mike, I call you friend. Helmut, I call you friend. Nadine, Jim, I call you friend. I call you friend. And while you're on this earth, until you get to heaven, I shall always be your friend. And I will send people into your life as my angels directed into your path. And they likewise shall be your friend. Mercy in our friendships. Is there anything more powerful next to our faith? than the friendships that God has brought into our life in our Savior's name. Amen. Heavenly Father, so many people have commented on this series on mercy. I thank Pastor Schauer for finding that series. There have been so many aspects of it that have Help me to grow in my faith and understanding. And for those listening online and those listening here in the sanctuary, I pray that you continue to bless this series. When these weeks are over, may we remember the lessons learned as your Holy Spirit does its work. Keep us close to you, Lord, and keep us close to one another. In our Savior's name,